Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Trapped in a mysterious psychiatric ward, a man with no memory comes to learn that he is the president of the United States and the subject of a diabolical political conspiracy. As the asylum's soul-crushing forces bear down on him, he fights to preserve his questionable sanity and escape so he can return to power. This is part of an ongoing um, series from Hulu called Into the Dark, and this particular episode is called The Current Occupant. It's loosely pegged to the holiday of 4th of July, and we're very fortunate to have with us today the director as well as the executive producer of this particular episode called The Current Occupant, and that would be Julius Ramsey. Julius, welcome to Film School Radio. Very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for, for, for being here today. And I really enjoyed this a lot. This, is a, this particular episode is, is really kind of an adrenaline rush from start to finish. And one of the strengths of The, the Current Occupant is your ability to keep us on a string of, of suspense. Is this man nuts? Is he actually experiencing this in real time? There are so many different elements that went in to this consistent high wire act, which is how I look at something like this. It's, it's very difficult to keep all these different balls in the air. How did this come to you as a project for you to direct and to executive produce? Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, I take your, your comments as, as quite, quite the compliment. I really appreciate it. Um, the way this came about was um, I, had, I had a relationship with Blumhouse. I had directed an episode of The Purge, and I had talked to them about um, various episodes of End of the Dark um, for some period um, prior to this particular idea. Um, my brother and I this is something we had come up with. Um, it's an original idea. Um, we had developed it somewhat on our own, and I knew that we knew that Blumhouse was looking for um, such a project, and that their um, July Fourth uh, Independence Day episode was uh, they, they were seeking projects, and so um, we had a quick call with them. We pitched the ten-minute version of the idea. They loved it, and um, we developed the storyline um, quite a bit more and then went in and did a much longer, more detailed pitch. And um, they, they bit and decided they, they really wanted to do it. And from that point on, um, you know, they, they hired us to do the project. My um, brother wrote the script in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Um, we went through uh, you know, the process of, of development on the script. And then um, we went into pre-production in January and filmed it in February. And we're very, very lucky to finish production just a little less than two weeks before the world flips upside down. And um, unfortunately the, the COVID-19 pandemic shut down global film production. Yeah. So we were, we were really lucky to get it in just under the wire. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that it's a, it's an hour and 25 minutes. It's a feature length film length and it has all the elements. Is it a film? Is it a certain part? Yeah, of I would series? certainly call it a film. I mean, okay. our approach to it all along was as a feature film and Although, you know, it's, it's produced by Blumhouse. They had a strong hand in shaping it, as did Hulu. It is certainly a part of the End of the Dark series and shares the DNA that it is affiliated with this uh, holiday. At the same time, 
um, it's very much its its own film. I mean, it's very much its own its own style, its own look, its own story. It's a total standalone feature film. It, it was really um, you know just produced as a part of End of the Dark anthology, yeah. loosely connected to the Independence Day holiday, which is why we have so many themes of patriotism and the general subject matter, of course. Right. And one of the other things about it in, in the the in the stew of the of the project of this film is that there are things that are what I would call touchstones in terms of you'll recognize elements within it that mm -hmm. what are echoes of other things that you might have seen. There's mm -hmm. a little bit of cuckoo's nest in here. There's a little bit of parallax view in here. There's a little bit of the uh, Manchurian candidate. There are elements of the story that are uh, familiar but it's all in the execution. I mean, I think everyone in some way or another is influenced or, or borrows from other things that they've seen. And from a, mm -hmm. certainly from a director's point of view and a writer's point of view mm -hmm. uh, that it feels like, and it, it, correct me if you, if I'm not being fair to your vision of what you, what you did with this particular project. Absolutely. I mean, certainly um, it draws upon the great um, history of conspiracy films and uh, certainly the Parallax View. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's that's a film that not everyone knows, but um, it certainly, you know, as any cinephile knows, has that famous six-minute montage sequence, which, from a modern perspective, seems utterly astounding that that played for six minutes, no words, just a montage to music, in movie theaters across America, because the the short attention spans that that so dominate most of the material created um, by Hollywood these days would never support something like that uh, nowadays. But they did it, and they did it incredibly well. And it um, it created such a interesting psychological effect. Um, certainly, when I saw it, and for what it does in the film with Warren Beatty, you know, it's a brainwashing sequence. So that was certainly a model. I mean, we actually use that. Um, I mean, I, I had edited together a three or four minute reel, like a tone reel that we showed to Blumhouse as a part of our pitch. And we picked out um, pieces of different films from, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to Steven Soderbergh's Unsane to um, Blade Runner, the interrogation scenes in that. And funnily enough, you mentioned the parallax view. I used a segment of the montage um, in, that, in that tone reel. So it was certainly an influence, but we wanted to take that and then do something different with it, which I feel like that we we did. I mean, we really we made it a much larger part of the film. We we visually changed it quite a bit and and amped it all up. So um, I think you know that that's part of the tradition of filmmaking is that that we I think there's the old saying I don't know if it was Isaac Newton said it that we we see only so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants, and um, yeah. that's that's certainly one of my approaches. Yeah, and while we're while we're on the subject of the Parallax View, let's Alan Palooka, let's let's uh, shout out to him, the filmmaker who was responsible for Parallax View, and Warren Beatty. You're absolutely right. Now, what's different ab about this? Again, I mean, it's as I said, it shares these sort of uh, threads from other from other work. Is uh, in the pace and the 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 atmospherics is almost from the opening scene. Is uh, it it you feel that this thing is sort of crushing down on whoever in the in this case uh henry it, there's just something very oppressive about the, mm -hmm. the 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 situation he finds himself in and there are 
there are lights that pierce this every once in a while in the film in terms of characters that are introduced, people who are part of these uh, other patients that come into his life, that give him hope. Mm -hmm. And I, I like, again, I, there, it, it's, a, it's a film that, and this is always for me uh, the mark of, a, of a, a work well done, and that is to find something that you are, and to commit to it. Mm -hmm. And in this in this project, I feel like you did that. Like you really committed to it. Uh, we certainly committed to it. <laughs> we wanted to take a big swing. I mean, uh, my brother and I, we did a film a few years ago called Midnighters, and that was very much a psychological thriller that was um, grounded in reality. And it didn't take a leap into a, a more abstract, even psychedelic perspective. And so with this film, we very much wanted to do that, um, both from a visual standpoint as well as a tone and and, and story perspective. Um, that that was really important to us. And so, from our perspective, we wanted to commit to it, and we wanted to swing as um, hard as we possibly could um, in that direction. Yeah, I, I definitely you did that. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Julius Ramsey. He's the director of the current of the current occupant. It's part of the into the dark anthology that's on hulu runs on hulu and i would assume based on the the uh ways that hulu and netflix operate that you can see this episode right now absolutely yes it's currently it on. airing on hulu yes it started um it started streaming about a week ago so um yeah it's currently available and i encourage everybody to tune in and check it out i want to talk uh about your background a little uh, a little bit um, you mm -hmm. uh, you have come up from the world of editing mm -hmm. it's where you yes really I originally started as an editor I was um, I you know my intention my goal was always directing um, but when I first entered uh, the business um, I had read a lot of biographies of directors and from my perspective th there were a lot of directors that I I, I really admired um, from David Lean to Spike Lee to Martin Scorsese that um, began their careers as, as editors. And I felt that that was a, a skill set that I was really intrigued by and something that I really wanted to learn as well as a great place to learn from other directors because you're, you're constantly working with, with directors and you're learning the nature of, of storytelling and, and film editing is it's it's one of the only elements of filmmaking that's truly unique to the art the juxtaposition of of images and um in order to create a a new meaning like through through their synthesis um that ev everything else every other element you know from acting to music to sound has precedent in another form of the arts um right. and to me that was that was very intriguing and that's that's why i went into it and i feel that I learned a tremendous amount and it helped develop my, my perspective as a, as a director and um, frankly, make me, make me a stronger director. I mean, that was really why I did it. And, um, you know, certainly I think that's evident um, in terms of my background and my work. I mean, you know, everything that we did in these psychological experiments that we're talking about with the parallax view, um, there, there, there's a strong editing basis in those that, um, you know, I did in collaboration with, the editor that I worked with on this film, Thad Nursky, who did a brilliant job. Um, but that certainly I do not think would have been possible if it weren't for my um, background as an editor. Yeah. 
And you're absolutely right. Their editing is, it sets this pace. It keeps, there's sort of a, it, it adds suspense. It, it, you're able, as you have to tell you how much it can impact uh, the way a scene will go. And obviously that plays into the bigger picture of how, how a film will look when you're, mm-hmm. when you're done. And, and the sense that, and this is part of the magic of cinema, when an audience goes in to watch a film or when I sit down to watch a film, I want to be, I want to know I'm in the hands of people who know how to tell a story mm-hmm. and I'm willing to give myself over to it. And the editor is probably the most important um, player in that, in that experience, yeah. right? And it's I think that's, hmm? yeah, it's, it's the creation, um, it's the suspension of disbelief. And I think right. that only comes with um, trusting the hands that um, as an audience member, you're placing yourself within. Right. And uh, this film definitely has that. Well, for you as an as a director, when you when you call action, you're watching this play out. Do you have kind of a, an editor's hat on while you're watching it? Or do oh, you- absolutely. I never take my editor's hat off. I mean, okay. I I did that. I did that for a long time. And it was, you know, it's an important part of my development as a filmmaker. So that never goes away. I mean, that to me at this point, it's, you know, it's, it's instinct. Yeah. I don't, I don't even really think about it. Um, Cause I just, you know, it, it's like playing a musical instrument I mean, you do it so many years that you, you, you know, you do it instinctively without thinking. So as an, as a director, I, that perspective, you know, I'm looking at everything um, through, through, you know, one prism of my mind, like one, one channel of it. In this project, the the current occupant, uh, you worked with your brother Alston. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the writer. Tell us a little bit about his involvement in this. Sure. Um, you know, my brother, uh, he began his career as a speechwriter. Um, he worked at the Pentagon. He was a speechwriter for the Secretary of Defense Robert Gates. Um, he ran an eight-person communications team in Afghanistan under uh, General Petraeus during the Afghanistan War. It's still going on. And um, then he, he uh, turned his hand to uh, screenwriting. So uh, he wrote our first film that we did together. And then um, this film, which I think in many ways he was able to bring his um, prior political experience to bear. And um, as well as, you know, it, it became essentially like the marriage between his background and his interest with my own, because I've spent a lot of years in, in, in genre um, work from science fiction and horror, and um, this is really the synthesis of of all of those um, those those film genres. Yeah, it's it's terrific stuff. It, and then uh, the cast: uh, Barry Watson plays Henry, who mm-hmm. believes he is president of the United States and is determined to get out of this facility that he finds himself in. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about working with Barry Watson on this and the cast. Barry Watson's incredible. I mean, you know, it was very important to us when we um, were, were casting this project for the, for the role of, of Henry that we find someone who was believable as both the president of the United States as well as a paranoid schizophrenic because that's the line that the film rides throughout um, the entire movie. And so Barry, you know, he really had that. And, and, and it's rare, I think, to find um, someone that's got that much gravitas that you would not only believe that they were present, but they're a president that you would really be excited to vote for. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and yes. simultaneously have that um, haunted vulnerability and um, potential madness that we needed to um, play the other side of the coin. So um, I think in Barry, we found that, and as soon as we, um, you know, 
started thinking about him for this role, I, I couldn't see anybody else in it. He is terrific in the role. And he he's able to hold the line, as you would think, mm -hmm. someone who was who had been president, you would think mm -hmm. this would be a very kind of determined, intelligent, resourceful person. Mm -hmm. And he's all of those in this. And I'm not going to give anything away, whether he is or was or, you know, mm -hmm. anything, but because uh, that's another th strength of the film is that you're able to, to really keep us in the dark. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there are clues. And, you, you know, once you watch it, you go back and watch some of it again. But even then, I, I never felt like you you tipped your hand more than you you absolutely needed to in this film. So thank you. That was certainly the intention. Yeah, and and again, I mean, Barry's terrific in being able to be frenetic as well as mm -hmm. intelligent, and also able to take charge of a situation that he finds himself in. And, and likable. I think that was a really important thing to us too. I think Barry, as a person and an actor, is an inherently likable likable person, and I think that sense, um, you know, it, it conveys on film. That's why he's been such a, a successful actor that people can really relate to and identify with. And I think that was a critical component of finding um, the right uh, person to bring this um, role to life. There, there is a, a, some very strong characters in this film and the woman who runs the, the this uh, therapy uh, for Henry is terrific and the actress is Sunita Henry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about her and her background? And sure, her um, I mean, Sunita is a fantastic actress. Um, she's, uh, she lives in the United Kingdom, uh, explains the British accent. And, and funnily enough, um, I had actually worked with her on a science fiction series called Krypton, which is a prequel to Superman. And it filmed in Belfast, um, Northern Ireland. So I had, gone over there um, for two different seasons, two different stints, and Sunita happened to be on the show in both of both both of all the episodes that I directed. Um, she she was present. So when her audition tape um, was submitted, I was I was really, you know, it was it was such a cool coincidence. Um, but she certainly, you know, she was selected because she just she fit the role to a T. I mean she was very, very good at playing um, an intelligent antagonist um, who, who's a real match for Henry, but simultaneously not a mustache twirling um, villain. And I think that's really important. We wanted someone who was authentic that just as we believe that Henry may or may not be the president of the United States, we also believe that Dr. Larson may or may not have his best interest um, at heart. So um, that she was a real pleasure to work with. And I think she did a fantastic job. Um, and Marvin Jones III, who played the orderly, um, he's, a, he's a fantastic actor. As I mentioned, he's um, one of the stars of the um, CW series, um, Black Lightning. He um, also has a prolific career and, and began his career as a, as a rapper and hip hop artist. Um, he, he ghost writes for major music stars like like Snoop Dogg he's he's very much in that scene and then uh, turned his um, his talents to acting um, at a certain point so he, he maintains you know he's a he's a double threat um, and uh, he actually came in originally to audition for a smaller role of the emperor who's one of the asylum patients played by uh, Joshua Burge but uh, Marvin originally interviewed uh, auditioned for that role and we thought he was so fantastic. We said, well, why don't you come back 
and interview for the orderly, which is obviously, you know, a much, um, much more screen time and a larger presence in the film. And he did it and he really just, um, you know, knocked it out of the park and, um, our, uh, we made our decision. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Real pleasure and just a genuinely wonderful human being. And let, and let me just comment on that because uh, m- watching him in this role, this easily could have been a throwaway role. Some, it could have been just mm-hmm. a guy, an orderly who brings him in and out of the room. But there is something about it, in their initial encounter, you can see the kind of, he's already, his character's already drawn some lines around Henry that he, mm-hmm. are not going to be violated as far as he's concerned. And mm-hmm. he, he, even though he has a, sort of a paternal sort of uh, relationship with him. He's also, you can just, it just, just below the surface, you can see that this isn't going to end well if, if Henry yeah. does. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic actor because yeah, the real yeah. Marvin is like one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet in your life. But on screen, um, he can get awfully scary. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say, he really takes hold of this character. He really he very much does. I mean, really he has does. a large, a large screen presence. I mean, when he's on, on camera, he, he's, um, he just dominates the frame and, and that's why he was such a pleasure to work with. Thank you. Because you just see him in a scene and you know, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that that's, you're right. That's a, not the easiest thing for an actor to establish mm-hmm. or for a director to recognize that and, and make that part of the well, he has a tremendous tableau is charisma. that you just see him and you go, Oh, well, something, something's going to yeah. happen here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, he has a tremendous amount of charisma and yeah. he's unpredictable. And, and that said, you know, so much of that is, is his, 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 talent as an actor and his work ethic. I mean, I've, I've met few actors who prepare as much as, as Marvin does, and he really brings that to his work. So, um, well, well, congratulations on the, the current occupant. Much. Yeah, it's very, it's an excellent uh, film. It is a nail biter. It is, it'll keep you, you know, you don't need coffee watching this one. Mm-hmm. Trust me, kids, you, you're, you'll definitely know it's, it's, it's really uh, terrific stuff. And, um, I want to thank you, Julius Ramsey, thank you. so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure to be here. The film is called The Current Occupant. It's part of the Into the Dark Hulu anthology series. It's currently available on Hulu. And this is a film that is, again, as uh, Julius said, it's tied into the 4th of July. It's our, well, the last, maybe the last holiday we're going to celebrate. Uh, just a little joke there on the uh, comment on the pandemic. But nonetheless, um, uh, I'm, I really... Thank you so much for your time here today. That's wonderful to be here. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 